Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good, good, good. All right. So like Jeff was saying, we are continuing on in the book of Colossians. We'll be finishing up chapter one this week. Uh, Well, we'll be talking about the end of chapter one. Who knows? You know, we may have to camp out there for a minute. But uh, for for those who who haven't been here uh, for the series, just a little bit of background. The book of Colossians written by the Apostle Paul, likely when he was imprisoned in in Rome. So at the end, uh, you know, as part of the as part of the closing of the letter, he says, remember my chains. So he's imprisoned when he writes this and he's writing this to the believers at the church of Colossae, uh, a church that he didn't plant, one that he likely had never been to. But he's writing them this letter as a form of encouragement, because through some of his people, he had heard that there was a challenge to the true faith in Christ. We don't know exactly what that was, but there was some kind of false belief going around. And he wrote this letter as an encouragement to them to continue on in their faith in Christ. So that's, uh, that's kind of where we're at. So if you would, just bow with me real quick in prayer as we get started. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for being able to, to gather here in your name. And Father, as we share the word together, we pray that you would, would grow it in our hearts, Father God, and help us to, to follow your teachings, follow your example, but, but more importantly, to know who you are and have your Holy Spirit grow within us each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So if you've been following along or if you read through the book of Colossians when we started, uh, we're going to be starting in uh, verse 24 today. So if you have looked at it, then you know that we're going to talk a little bit about suffering today. Now, suffering, first of all, I like preaching straight through books of the Bible because you get to kind of these parts that you really would rather not talk about. However, you kind of get busted if, if you skip five verses. People are like, oh, what happened? What happened to those five verses? So you're, you're forced to deal with some of these issues. So today, the issue that we're going to be looking at is, is suffering. And I really, really love sermons about suffering. When you hear sermons about suffering or people in the church talk about suffering, because there's like some, some weird stuff that goes on when we start talking about suffering. And there, there's a lot of different reactions to it. But today, I will share with you just, just three of the observations that I've made. So the first kind of sufferer that we have is the suffering cheerleader. The suffering cheerleader. This is a person who, who gets really giddy when you start talking about suffering, and they're just really happy, you know. It's like, oh, I got a flat tire. Praise Jesus, you know. I got, you know, this and that happened to me. Praise the Lord. I'm just so happy whenever things go wrong. Um, so that's kind of the suffering cheerleader. Then another character in this drama is the suffering prophet, the suffering prophet. Now, I don't mean the type of prophet that tells the future and, you know, gives these, these visions. I'm talking about the prophet that speaks that hard word of truth, the prophet who, who, is, who is that spokesman of God, who when something's going wrong in your life is ready to say, well, where's the sin in your life? You know, you must, be, you must not be right with God. Something, something's going on. You know, think Job's friends, you know, in the book of Job. All right. And then the, the third one is the sunny side up sufferer. Now, for all the Marvel superhero fans, I thought about making this the silver sufferer, but sunny side up sufferer is where I, where I kind of landed on. And this is a person kind of in relation to the suffering prophet. But on the other side, this is a person that believes if I just get right, then all this stuff will go away. 
I'll be completely protected and nothing bad will happen in my life. And there's probably more than that, and this is all in fun. But, you know, there, though there's probably a grain of truth behind each of those, what each one fails to do is understand the role of suffering in our lives. So when we look at what we're going to look at today as, as rejoicing in suffering, we tend to get a little bit weird because we don't know what that looks like. We think that we have no idea what it's like to rejoice in suffering. But I propose that we're a little more familiar with this concept than, than we can think about, than we know. So how many, you know, there's a, a military crowd in here. How many combat veterans do we have? Been, been downrange? All right, all right. So a few. So if you think about joining the military and, and, and what you sign up for, you, you sign up to go defend freedom across the globe, anywhere that the nation will send you. And, and there's definitely some, some suffering involved in military service. When you go, especially, you know, if you think about going down range, you're down there uh, in a combat zone where people want to kill you in hopes that that'll be on the news so that America will pull out. But, but you're there. You volunteered to, to, to be there for something that you believe in. And the families behind those people are, you know, they endure the not knowing, the, the instability of life, all these different things. Um, but several, though it's hard, there, there is a joy there. There is a sense of purpose. And then those who, how many people are athletes or, or musicians or anything that requires, you know, some talent, some practice, things like that? Go ahead, you can raise your hands. All right, there's a few, and I know there's some that didn't raise their hands. But, you know, think about that. Uh, you put, you know, athletes put their, their bodies through these rigorous training regimes. Uh, musicians, artists, you know, spend, spend hours in, in, in frustration and, and all these different things. Uh, there's, there's denial, there's prioritization of time, all these different things that are difficult they're hard. And then when you get on that stage to perform, there's that risk of, of failure and judgment and all that. But in order to accomplish something that brings you joy, you take all those risks. Parents. Where are the parents at? All right. Parents. Whether you're a parent through uh, birth or through adoption or fostering or just some other way, there, there's really... If you, if you want to take the, the pessimistic view, there's really only one guarantee in parenting, and that is that sacrifice is involved. Whether you're a good, bad, or indifferent parent, you're giving up something to be a parent. And then just kind of the, the married couples in general. For the married couples in general, I had to, I had to go into Scripture because there's, there's some promises in, in, about marriage in Scripture, and one of them comes out of, out of the, uh, the letter to the Corinthians, uh, Verse uh, chapter seven, verse twenty-eight. Paul says, "But those who marry will face many troubles in this life." It's not me. That's the Bible. All right. So, so again, but but with with that promise there in Scripture, people still they get they get married in hopes uh, to to have that life with someone else, in hopes to to have that marriage that can reflect Christ to each other and to those. Who observe them. So we're a little bit more familiar with joy and suffering a lot of times than we give ourselves credit for. 
So my point is, is that we are willing to endure incredible challenges and hardships for something in which we believe. We're willing to endure incredible challenges and hardships for something in which we believe. And this is what Paul explains to the believers at Colossae in the next section of this letter. We suffer for Christ and with Christ. We suffer for Christ and with Christ. So we're going to read together from Colossians. This is it out of the uh, English Standard Version. All right, and if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles down on the end of the row, or I'm sure there's a Bible on, on your smartphone if you are uh, partaking of the smartphone these days. But we'll, we'll, read, uh, we'll read these verses together. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The word of the Lord. All right. So starting out, we'll just go through the verses. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So at verse 24, we have the 800-pound gorilla kind of taking up refuse you know, somewhere, somewhere in the corner. He's hanging out because we look at this verse and we see what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What, what does that mean, you know, that, that Christ didn't do what they told us that he did in Sunday school, that, you know, he died for, like I went to Sunday school. You know, I'd be, I, I, I received the Lord when I was 21 years old. But anyway, I, I did go as a guest to Sunday school, so I think some people got extra snacks and stuff like that when I was little. But, uh, but anyway, so what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? That's really not what we read elsewhere in the Bible. You know, he died for our sins. He's all sufficient. Well, that's all true. Jesus Death on the cross was the only and complete sacrifice necessary for us to receive that forgiveness of sins, for us to be reconciled to God. He reconciles, Jesus reconciles all those who receive him as Lord and Savior. He declared on the cross that, that it is finished. And when the Apostle Peter and Apostle John, uh, there we read in Acts, when, when they were testifying before the Sanhedrin, they declared there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we are to be saved. That's out of Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And then Paul himself reminded the church at Corinth when they were kind of having arguments about who was, was the right apostle to be saved by. You know, I follow this guy, I follow that guy. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And that's out of 1 Corinthians. So 
there, there isn't a, Paul isn't doing something for the salvation of the Colossians. There isn't that Jesus, you know, he died a little bit on the cross and now Paul had to die a little bit more in, other, in, in order for people to be saved. That's not it. What Paul is saying is that he is called to minister the gospel to the church. And as he does that, he, he's, he suffers. He suffers for that message. He suffers to deliver that message. So the suffering that he goes through in spreading that message as a member of Christ's body is added to that work. He has to fulfill his calling through suffering. So there, there is no lack in Jesus. Uh, and as a matter of fact, when, when Paul was called to ministry on that road to Damascus, uh, Jesus told Ananias that, for I will show Paul what he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Paul knew that he was called to suffer for, for the mission that Jesus had called him to carry out. So there, there is no lack in Jesus. It's just Paul was living out the ministry to which he was called. So that's what he means by he's, he's filling up or he's adding to. It's the suffering to, to spread the gospel. It's the suffering for the sake of the body as a member of the body himself. So moving on to, to verse 25. The church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. There, so what Paul is saying here, again, he's talking about his calling. And that word minister there, when we, when we think of minister, we kind of think of, you know, maybe like Jeff or, or some other pastor who's, who's a leader of a church, someone up front. But that, that word there that the ESV translates as minister is actually diakonos, which is translated deacon in other places, which means servant. So he's not called really to be a leader as we might understand it, but rather he's called by God to be a servant in the church. And the, the word that's translated as stewardship, a koinomian, is also translated commission in the New International Version. And that, that word has the idea behind it of plan, task, or to manage a household, a household manager. Now, when you look at, you look in, in the Gospels or if, if you look in some other books about uh, the society there, that household manager, again, is, is a slave. That household manager isn't some subject matter expert or, or, you know, some special contractor or whatever that we might hire these days, but rather it's just one slave who watches over the household. So what Paul is talking about here is that he, he is a servant. He is a servant to, to Jesus. He is a servant to the church. He's a servant to the gospel. So he is, his calling is to be really a slave to Jesus, his body, and to the message of hope with which, with which he spreads. So very humble, a very, a very humble position, something that he feels that he's, he's compelled to do. He, he's compelled to do, but remember, he's rejoicing in this as well. So what is that message? It's the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the message for which Paul suffers. The mystery that revealed is that Jesus is the Christ. 
in, in Hebrew, the Messiah, that he is the Savior, the one who comes to take away the sins of the world. He's the one that, that the Jews had, had waited for. But when he came, there was a little bit of an issue because they were expecting from the line of David, they were expecting someone to come like King David as a conquering king, one who's going to slay their enemies and declare the kingdom right there. But Jesus didn't come like that. He came in a way that, that was humble. And he, he, he abolished that religious system. So he, you know, basically was making life uncomfortable. So he was opposed by the Jews. Not only that, but to the Jewish community, he said, hey, what, what, what you've looked forward to, the, the, the redemption, the reconciliation, the taking back that you're looking for, oh, by the way, the Gentiles are included. And the Gentiles included those who had oppressed them. All those authorities that they were waiting to be crushed, hey, they're in on this plan as well. So you can see where, where the issue comes in there. I mean, we, I mean, think about the little stuff that we get upset about that for in, 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 in our own lives. When, when something, when we're wronged and, and the person who's wrong kind of gets off the hook and different things like that. I'm, I'm, I am guessing that, that Driscoll will probably even have something to say about things like that in that marriage seminar. All right. But so, so there's a problem there where the Jews oppose him. But not only that, the Gentiles, even though they're included, they oppose them as well because their gods, their idols. Paul looked at them and said, these aren't gods. There's only one true God. Your idols, they're false. They're not, you know, they're only worth whatever, whatever they're made out of. You know, these days you can take a dollar and one of those idols into Starbucks and you won't get anything because we know you got to spend $3 there to come out with anything. But anyway, so, but this had an impact on what they were comfortable with growing up. It had impact on the sell of those idols. So it had an economic impact as well. So he's opposed by the Jews and the Gentiles, he's opposed on all sides for this message of hope that he wants to bring to the people. And then he continues on. Him talking about Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So what Paul did wasn't only to go and, and preach the gospel to those who hadn't heard, but there's also a ministry of, of correcting and teaching and helping to grow those who had heard. Again, kind of the purpose of this letter, because it's written to the believers in the church to correct some of their actions, some of their doctrines that they were, that they were possibly falling victim to by these false preachers who were coming in and preaching against the true word. And in fact, later in this book, and, you know, we'll get there in chapter three. He's going to talk about this is the same ministry that we have as well. He uses these exact same words, you know, teaching and admonishing one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs in the Lord. So we'll get there. We're not going to jump now to chapter three. But this ministry that Paul does, all the different things that we can read that he records throughout the Bible, we're called to those same ministries because Paul wasn't he wasn't different. He wasn't special as we would understand it. And he was inspired to, to, to write these letters, which became scripture. But as far as a person was, his calling is very similar to our calling. We just carry it out in different ways. But it's the same calling at the heart. And at the heart, it is about that gospel and that hope. And then he closes here in verse 29. 
For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So there are two things to, to notice here. First, Paul, he works hard. He even fights to fulfill his calling. The word suffering uh, means to make effort, to strive with intensity and effort. So he's, he's working. Sometimes, sometimes I think when we, uh, it, I'll, just, I'll just speak from my own, from my own perspective. Uh, some, some things that I, I struggled with kind of early on in, in my walk with Christ, and even, you know, sometimes from day to day. And that is, think, you know, I receive Christ, and, and God's, you know, I see all these miracles, and he does all these things, so I think that instantly something's going to happen. You know, I say the right prayer, the right combination of prayers or whatever, and, and then that's kind of it. God takes over. I sit shotgun because I hate driving, but, you know, and, and, I, and I can just kind of ride it out. But what Paul is saying here is that, that he toils and that he struggles. And that word there uh, is, a, is often used in the Greek. It was often used in, in terms of an athlete or athletic competition. So you think about, again, those, those training regimes and, and the, the different sacrifices, you know, that I won't eat this and I, and I will eat that in order to get stronger. He participates. Paul participates. His role is real. Our role is real. And the second thing to notice, though, is that even though he does struggle and though he does work and that he does toil, that, that he does so with God's power. It's God's power that works within him to fulfill that calling. So God calls him to the ministry and then God partners with him, energizes him, fills him up in order to to fulfill that ministry. So Paul, he suffered for Christ, but he also suffered with Christ, with Christ indwelling him, with Christ behind him, with Christ's words and witness there leading him with him and indeed coming behind him. And we are to suffer for Christ and with Christ as well. Now, I couldn't, I couldn't pass up the chance to, 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 to bring in to bring in a, another scripture, uh, because when I, again, you know, we get kind of weird about the suffering and all that stuff, but the Colossians, even though they didn't meet Paul, I'm sure that they probably had heard about some of the things that this apostle had gone through, because he had years of ministry before that imprisonment, so that, you know, there had been time for some of that word to spread. So, Here's a snapshot of some of that from Paul's uh, own words in another letter that he wrote to, to the Corinthians. So it says here, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there is the daily pressure on me and my anxiety 
for all of the churches. Wow. Okay. Danger in the city and in the country, you know? Where, 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 where do I go? Danger from my own people and danger from the Gentiles. So the question is, are you motivated? Are you excited? You know, because as, as, as we'll see probably next week at the beginning of chapter two, he, his, his sufferings, he highlights them in order to encourage the believers at the Colossians. It's not, it's not to brag. It's not to scare them. It's to encourage them. You know, now I didn't look at the Greek definition behind the word encouragement, but I would, I would imagine that it's probably to encourage or, or something very similar, you know. So he's trying to pump them up. But how, how is something like that supposed to encourage anyone? My guess is, even back in those days, that people weren't real quick to jump on board for lashings and beatings. And if I look at us today, again, I'll, I'll speak for me, but I think everyone might agree that even the most holy of us, after, after leaving here today, would rather go to lunch then go get beaten. That's just, or, or a whooping, you know. I, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, that we would rather go get something to eat. So, so what on earth is Paul trying to accomplish by writing these kind of things in letters to encourage people? Now, Paul could have chosen a different route. You know, Acts records the fact that, that Paul performed miracles, that, that God helped Paul perform miracles the, the, you know, claws that he had touched were used to heal people. Uh, a kid who, who fell out of a window backward while Paul was preaching, you know, that kid died and Paul raised him from the dead. So, so he could have taken that route. I mean, I would, if I was there, I might have appreciated that, you know, like, oh, okay, yeah, I can get on board for a guy who's doing miracles and raising people from the dead and doing all these things. But instead, he, he highlights his, his suffering and his struggles as a testament that his faith is real. As a testament that his faith is real. Because it is easy to, to talk tough from, from a cozy living room, you know, or from a, his, you know, a chariot. If he had a chariot, you know, with like 22-inch rims and, you know, something like that. You know, it's easy to talk tough from, from that type of a position, but, but it's a little harder to, to go through these different struggles and still continue on with that message. And it's really, it's encouraging in, in, in two ways, more than two, but two that I'll highlight. And that is, it shows that God is with Paul. Because a person doesn't go through all that and keep going unless there is some type of supernatural backing. There's just, it just can't be done. So it shows that, that, he, that God is with him. And second, it is an assurance that he is with the people that he's preaching to as well. Because they're going to go through struggles. They're going to go through persecution once they start sharing that gospel. And Paul is with them. He's not somebody who sits back, again, from some comfortable location and sends a lot of people out to do the dirty work while he profits. God is with him, and Paul is with them. So again, we're willing to endure incredible challenges and hardships for something 
in which we believe. And we already know in those other things, whether it's athletics or, or parenthood or friendships or anything like that, 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 that we are willing to endure. How much more can we endure for the gospel when we're empowered by the creator of the universe, when we're empowered by the one who is, who is preeminent, the one who's first among all things, and really the one who, who suffered for us and also suffers with us. So as members of Christ's body, you must embrace the suffering. You must embrace the suffering as well because it's part of, it's part of that, that ministry. So, you know, let me be clear, though. When I say embrace the suffering, I'm not talking about going out and looking for trouble or manufacturing suffering. In fact, that's one of the issues that was going on that led Paul to write this letter. Uh, there's a, a, big, a big word called asceticism um, that, that he writes against in this letter, and we'll see that here in uh, chapter 2. And what, what asceticism is, is if you think about the people who kind of whip themselves uh, with, with uh, you know, to put scars on their backs and put themselves through pain or go out into the, the wilderness and live away from any kind of technology and comforts and things like that, it's, that's manufacturing suffering, really for suffering's own sake. And then you do that kind of stuff, and then you tend to, to, to get pumped up, to get proud in spirit. Look what I can do without for God. But just as an example of the people who go out into the wilderness, how are you spreading the gospel in a cave? You know, how are you spreading the gospel alone in a desert? Whose lives are you impacting by doing that? All right. So, so Paul is going to teach directly against those, those, kinds, those kinds of actions. Uh, what I am saying is that just like it was for Jesus, just like it was for Paul, just like it was for for all the people throughout history that, that we can read about, when you, the gospel, inherently, there's some suffering involved because that message makes people uncomfortable. That message uh, is in opposition to ideas of this world. That, that message endangers other people's power. It, it endangers us. You know, there's stuff that we have to give up when we say, you know, I want to be like Christ. There's, there's some things that come along with that. Chief chief of which we kind of talked about a little bit in our community group, one of the chiefs is, is that forgiveness. What Jeff was talking about last week, that reconciliation. That's hard to do. You've got to give up something to be reconciled in, in relationships. So that suffering is, is inherent. So what, what do you do? The first thing I would propose is seek Jesus' help. Now, I know that, uh, that Jeff, he likes to come with, with, with some quotes week to week to kind of expand your, your lexicon. So, so I heard, I heard this, this wise theologian and pastor once tell his congregation that God doesn't care as much about your happiness as you do. All right? God doesn't care as much about your happiness as you do. <laughs> it is it is a little bit harsh. I mean it, it it's hard to hear. It's hard to hear. But it's but it's the truth. Because God is about his own glory. God is about God. 
You know, when, when Joshua was stopped by the angel on the road, he said, are you with us or are you for our enemies? And the angel said, no. Because God is about God and his own glory, but thankfully his glory includes us being reconciled back to him. All right, so he doesn't ignore us, but he's about his own glory, which includes our reconciliation and our restoration as well. And again, he wasn't too good for it. He wasn't above it. In, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, uh, the writer there says, For it was fitting that he, meaning Jesus, for whom and by, ho- by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So the founder, Jesus, he was made perfect through suffering as well. And that suffering wasn't because he did something. That suffering was on, was on our behalf. Now, since I got the mic today, I'm going to take the, 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 the opportunity to not really go down a rabbit trail, but to, to address an issue that comes up when we do talk about suffering. And that is praying for patience. Praying for patience. If you don't know what I'm talking about, hey, it's all right. Just, just leave it alone. But if you do know what I'm talking about, people will say, hey, don't pray for patience. Because God might give it to you. Now, you know in the Greek that patience means long-suffering. So if you pray for patience, God's going to make you suffer long. So don't do it. You know, if you don't make eye contact, the teacher won't call on you. So don't do it. Don't pray. Don't pray for patience. But as I was preparing for this message, I figured out, you know, there's really, there's really two ways that you can respond to suffering, you know, and that whole don't pray for patience thing. And that is you can suffer with Jesus and for a purpose, or you can suffer without Jesus for no purpose because this is a fallen world. However, as I watch uh, sports, I'll admit it, on TV, I found that there is a third option uh, when it comes to, to suffering. All right. Now, that that short segment is not an endorsement by the transit of Beats by Dre or by Aloe Black that sings the song, The Man. All right. If if you've seen those commercials, a guy puts on the headphones and, you know, the the whole campaign is hear what you want to hear. So basically there is a third option, and that's denial. You know, you can just deny it. There is no suffering going on. And, and in fact, there's, there's religions made on the denial of suffering. Just, yeah, if you ignore it, it it'll, it'll go away. But seek Jesus' help. Seek Jesus' help. We're in a fallen world. Suffering is, is, is inherent to where we're at right now. But seek Jesus' help that, that you can suffer with him for that purpose. The second thing is be encouraged by other people. Just like Paul is writing in this letter, uh, be encouraged by the testimony that you hear from others, when you hear, uh, when you you know, you look at, at at Jeff and say, "Man, he came up here to 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 D.C., the Northern Virginia area, very very expensive, you know, not quite knowing how things were going to go to plant a church." You know, Abby's dad did the same thing um, when he went to Newport News, just kind of moving up there. And then there's a lot of other people who just said, "Hey, we'll we'll go up there, 
as well. When you hear that, be encouraged. Uh, Jesus, when he was here a couple of weeks ago, talking about going down to Mexico to plant churches in places where they practice witchcraft and, and Catholicism mixed with witchcraft and different things like that. So, you know, something that's going to be very, very tough. When you hear stories about miracles and, and stories about martyrs and stories about missionaries going overseas, be encouraged. Fight the temptation. If, if, if it's in you, fight the temptation to make it all about you. To hear these stories and be like, oh, I can never do that. Yeah. yeah, that's good for them, but I can never do that. Because it's, again, it's not about, it's not about us. Just be, just be encouraged. You know, if you're not there, then, then that's fine. But be encouraged that that faith is real. That these people are empowered by their calling. And that if you have received Christ, you have a calling as well. That you have a calling as well. So, so be happy for them and, and let that encourage you that he's with you. And then third, be an encourager. Be an encourager. So seek his help, be encouraged, and be an encourager. And a big part of that is telling your story. But tell the whole story. You know, talk about the blessings. Talk about the things that you're thankful for. Talk about what God has done in your life. You know, share that with other people. But also talk about the bad, the, the slip-ups, the, the times maybe that you struggle with doubt, that you struggle in your faith, that you struggle with sin, because all those things are real. You know, the Bible tells us that none of us are, are without sin. Here in this life, we're not going to be that holy. The disciples themselves, you know, slid back all the time. They struggled with unbelief and with misunderstanding. So it's okay. Let people know that that happens to you. And then the ugly. When you're attacked from the outside, when people attack you only and specifically because of your faith, in Jesus. You can share those stories as well. I mean, we're, we, we recharge and renew one another as we share those stories. And again, it gives us the courage to go out to know that we're not alone and that this whole thing is, is real. And in fact, in Matthew, Jesus said during uh, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is heaven. in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's a blessing there. As we fulfill that calling, there is a blessing and a promise there from Jesus. We're reborn for a purpose. We're reborn for a purpose. And we will surely suffer for Christ's sake and for the sake of his body, the church. We'll suffer for for each other right here. So suffering is not something to to be ashamed of or or that is shameful. It's part of God's calling. We live, again, in a fallen world, and suffering comes with that. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We rejoice in suffering, not because we're looking for trouble, not because we're manufacturing hardship, not because we're weird or sadistic or anything like that, but we suffer with joy because we suffer for Christ and we suffer with Christ, our hope of glory. So as we finish up here, here today, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us and then we're going to respond to the message.
We're going we're gonna to stand up and, and, and worship God and sing together. Um, as well as in, in the back, there's a, an offering table. Um, you know, we want to help to further God's kingdom, to further God's message through giving. That's another, another form of worship. But also with that theme of suffering every week, uh, we take communion as well because we are reminded that Christ went on that cross and that he, he died for us. And when he was with his disciples, that, that, that meal that he was sharing with them, he, he gave them the, uh, the commission, really, that, that call, that, that directive. Well, we, call, we use the word ordinance, that when we take the, the, the bread as his body and when we take the, the wine or the juice as his blood, that we remember each time that we take it that, that he died for us, that his body was broken and his blood was spilled for us. So we have the, the communion tables up here. And, you know, as, you, as you're ready, those who have received Christ as their Lord and Savior, I invite you to come up and take the bread and dip it into the juice and remember that Christ suffered for us. And as we take on that, that mission and fulfill that calling, that he is with us as we suffer for the gospel so that others might know him as well. So let's pray. Father God, we do thank you. We thank you that while we were sinners, that Christ died for us. We thank you, Lord, that you adopted us as sons and daughters, that you brought us into your kingdom, Lord. Lord, we thank you that part of your glory is reconciling us to you, Lord, that we might spend eternal life for you. So, Father, today we say that we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.